Look at John chapter 9, beginning with, we'll start with verse 26. No, verse 26. Okay. Then they said to him again, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I told you already, and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? <laughs> I love this guy. Yeah. This guy is so good. He's busting their job. Oh my goodness. He doesn't even know it. He just saved this in innocence. Then they reviled him and said, You are his disciple, but we are Moses' disciples. We know that God spoke to Moses. As for this fellow, talking about Jesus, we do not know where he's from. The man answered and said to them, why? This is a marvelous thing that you don't know where he is from. Yet he has opened my eyes. Now we know that God does not hear sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, he hears him. Since the world began, it has been unheard of that anyone opened the eyes of one who was born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. <laughs> Don't you love this guy? And uh, they answered and said to him, You were completely born in sin, and are you teaching us? And they cast him out. Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and when he had found him, he said to him, Do you believe in the Son of God? And he answered and said, Who is he, Lord, I, that I may believe in him? He's just totally open and honest. Jesus said to him, You have both seen him, and it is he who is talking to you. Then he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. And Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world that those who do not see may see, and that those who see may be made blind. Then some of the Pharisees who were with him heard these words and said to him, Are we blind also? Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no sin. But now you say, we see, therefore your sin remains. Oh, there's a lot of stuff in here. A lot of good stuff. We go back over the story. Jesus and his disciples are walking across the plaza by the temple. And uh, they walk by and they see a man... The disciples see a guy who was born blind, been that way his whole life. And you remember what they asked Jesus? What was their commentary and question? Who sinned? Oh, that's right. Yeah, who sinned? This guy or his parents? And we talked last time about the fact that it would have been really <coughs> difficult for him to have sinned. Uh, he was born blind, you know, got that. Uh, and what was Jesus' answer to the disciples' blame casting? Neither. Neither he nor his parents. This is not about sin. This is the end result is going to be glory to God. And uh, so then Jesus goes and talks with the blind man and he tells him he, he made clay out of spit and the ground 
and the sand up there, the, the dirt, put it on his eyes and says, go to the pool of Siloam. It was just after the great day of the feast. You remember the pool of Siloam was where they went and got the water to pour out to remind them of the living water from the rock in the wilderness. And so he says, go to the pool of Siloam and wash that off. And, and he did. And he was, he was made whole. His, his eyesight was there. Then he comes back and he starts telling people what had happened. They said, well, who did this to you? He says, his name was Jesus. I don't know who he was. You know, he said, I don't know. I don't know who he was, but his name is Jesus. And then the Pharisees get involved. And they call his parents in. He says, this can't be. This can't be so. Call the parents in. And, you know, they're afraid of the Pharisees. Why were they afraid of the, the Pharisees to come before them? You remember? Yeah. Uh, if they didn't like their answers, and if they did anything to act like Jesus was somebody special, they would kick them out of the temple. They wouldn't be able to bring their sacrifices. They wouldn't be able to come and worship. So they said, uh, well, he's, he's uh, we don't know. We weren't there. Uh, I know nothing. Nothing. Uh, we, don't, we don't know. We weren't there. Uh, he's, he's of age. You ask him. <laughs> so they just kind of backed out of that one. And so the Pharisees did. They asked him. He says, uh, uh, who did this? How, how did you uh, become, uh, have your sight restored? And his answer to them was, he made clay and put it on my eyes and told me to go wash in the pool and I was healed. Now what, out of all that, what do the Pharisees hear? It was on the Sabbath, and he had made and fashioned the kneading of clay. You're not allowed to make pottery or knead clay uh, on the Sabbath, according to them. That's not Old Testament law. That was their interpretation of it. If you knead it with your hands, if you work on bread or you work on clay... That's work, the work of your hands, and therefore it's illegal to do that on the Sabbath. But what if it relaxes you? Yeah. <laughs> they, they really didn't care. What if it heals you? They didn't care about that either. You know. All they were focusing on, he made, he made clay on the Sabbath. He worked with his hands on the Sabbath. He must be a sinner. And so, uh, so they, they go after the blind man, we pick up our story today, uh, there at this point. So, maybe we do. Hold on, I'll turn it on. It'll work. The disciples start the blame game here in our story. Uh, they want to affix blame for the situation. And, uh, there's many people that this is their way of life. This is their go-to position on any situation to affix blame. The, uh, I was doing some study on this and I came across an article from uh, Psychology Today, and, which is not a great source, but I thought it was interesting. Even a secular source 
uh, deals with the blame game. And we'll look at that in a moment. Uh, six reasons why people play the blame game over situations. Uh, have you ever been around somebody who does the blame game? And maybe you're one. Uh, why, do, why do you think we play the blame game? You know what I'm saying? Well, I, 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 what's the reason for that? And they got, got to affix blame to something. They can't just say, oh, there it is. <coughs> got to fix blame. But why? Yeah. See if you come up with one of the six. Psychology today. See how good you are. Okay? They feel inferior. They feel inferior. Their ego is threatened. Yeah. Avoid, um, avoid some kind of punishment. You have consequences. Avoid accountability. Accountability. Yeah. You're hitting them dead on. You're just as good as psychology today. <laughs> you go tell somebody. I'm, saying, I'm, I'm just as good as psychology today. <laughs> yeah. Look at me. Well, let, let's look at these blame game uh, reasons that they suggest. I imagine there's many of them. But we see many of these in this story. Uh, the Pharisees are trying to blame this one and that one and other situations. And uh, all Jesus did was heal the guy. And uh, no good deed goes unpunished, I guess. I don't know this to be true, but I have heard it to be true that there is a fine leveled at baseball players if they look at their glove, professional baseball players, if they look at their glove after they miss a catch. No. I heard that I heard that from several sources. That it is it is in poor taste for you to blame your glove for missing the line drive or the grounder. Now it's 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 a big deal in Little League. I mean Phil's playing and he you know must be the must be the, the glove's fault. Uh well, I know it from a, a reliable source, I believe. How many remember Joe Garagiola, mm -hmm. the catcher that uh, used to be a baseball commentator as well? Uh, he made that statement, and, and the guy that was with him says, Are you kidding? He says, No, no. We were told, you look at your glove after you miss a ball, and there's a fine attached to it in the clubhouse. It may have been just for the Yankees that he played with, but... He said it's, it's common across Major League Baseball because we're to be above blaming something else for our error. Mm -hmm. And uh, so whether it's true or not, Joe said it was, and I, I believe Joe. I think they got that out of the contract now. They can do that. Probably out of the <laughs> But uh, uh, he said, you know, different times, you know, if a catcher, he just, he just miffs the ball, messes it with it, if he's staring at his glove, he's going to be pinched. <laughs> but uh, the first reason that uh, psychology today suggests that people are using the blame game when they see situations, first of all, it's easy to fix blame. Sometimes people feel they have to fix blame. They can't just let it be. 
the disciples. What was this guy hurting them? What what was this this blind dude sitting there? What was it to them? I mean, really? He should have praised them. Well, they they said he was blind. They said, "Who, Master? Who sinned, him or his parents?" They, they, we don't have any word about the disciples about after the healing. This is before the healing. That he's sitting there. Everybody knows he was born that way. He's been there for years. And what's he hurting them? He's uh, blind. He's not hurting. <laughs> but but what does it hurt the disciples? None. None hurt them. Doesn't hurt them. They can just walk by on the other side. Right. Uh, but they felt that they had to, and they wanted Jesus in on it. Who sinned? They wanted to be, they were wanted to be Pharisees, didn't they? They wanted to affix blame for everything that happened. Just like the friends of Job who came when Job had suffered all those things, they wanted to affix blame for his predicament. And they wanted him, come on, own up to it, Job. You've sinned, you've messed up. This is God's judgment on you. You're a wicked, evil man. Fess it up. And he said, I, I can't do that. Well, what do you mean you can't do that? And then one would talk to him and tell him that. And the, then the next one would bring something else. And the next one would bring... And there was four of them that were messing with him, playing the blame game for his situation. <clears throat> and they didn't know a thing. Yeah. Even though they were being Pharisees, I am glad they asked. And that it's in the Bible. You know, yeah. that is just an interesting <clears throat> thing. Yeah, the, the blame game and Jesus addresses it. And now if there's anybody who could shoot blame out, it would be the Lord, right? But he says, no, this is not about that. This is about something else. God's at work in another way here. Say, well, why did it take God so long? Because Jesus came at the right time, at the right moment in time, at the right mission in time. But it's an easy reaction, a knee-jerk reaction to uh, blame something for, for the problem. To affix blame. It distracts people away from you. Or away from the, the situation. It's easy. The second one, it's a defense mechanism. Uh, you see something... You want to get the focus off of you and onto somebody else. It's their fault. It's their fault. Uh, the uh, the aspect of the dog ate my homework. <laughs> now, consider the poor dog. The uh, what, what's the young person trying to get away with here by just a defense mechanism when the teacher says, where's your homework, Johnny? And he says, the dog ate my homework. 
Now, this was on the news this many years ago, but uh, I don't think it's a real uh, excuse that's used much anymore. But years ago, it was one of those things that was kind of a joke. The dog ate my homework. And there was a, a little kid that uh, wanted to use that excuse. He spent hours making his excuse work. He tore up little bits of paper and put them in dog excrement. Oh my gosh. He spent so much time that the teacher was impressed. He brought it in. And the teacher had laughed and said, okay, okay. But if you would have done half as much, you could have had your homework done. And but he worked for hours on this on this project to prove that the dog ate his homework. It was all over the, the local news up in Cleveland. It's a defense mechanism. I don't want the blame. Uh, I don't want to take the punishment. Uh, it must be somebody else's fault. We throw blame out there to get the attention of, off of ourselves and to avoid any associated punishment. Now, whose phone is that? Oh, you're going to blame him? I, I, I'm, just, I'm just messing with you. Okay. See, it's an easy, easy thing to do. When we, the third one, the third reason that uh, Psychology Today gave was it's a sense of loss of control. A couple of you mentioned that. That you're, you're not in control of the situation and you need to be on top of this so that you know what what happened. Uh, whether it's, have you ever watched the news and when they interview people, uh, some tragedy has happened or some arrest or some shooting or whatever. There, I have several questions about the people they choose to interview. How do you find people that have not a tooth in their head to interview close up. And the second question would be, how, where did they look in the mirror and say, yeah, this looks like a good dress plan for the day. Uh, and then they couldn't put two English sentences together properly, and they were from here. Uh, I don't know where they get these, but but they act like they, well, I, I heard this and I saw that, and, and uh, they don't want to be the, the one to, to feel the blame. They want to be like they're in charge of the situation. Uh, things are spiraling out of control, and we got to blame somebody, right? Uh, in history, we find that world leaders on occasion have done this, the first, one of the big ones was Nero. Nero, what did he? Who did he blame uh, for what happened? He blamed the Christians for burning down Rome. Yeah, yeah. 
And the question I always had was, well, how could they burn down Rome? It was all made out of marble and granite and everything. Well, if you uh, uh, start fires and put tar and pitch on it, it'll explode on you. Uh, he blamed the Christians, drove the Christians out of Rome, and they had to live out in the wilds. Uh, he fixed blame and gathered support for his new Rome that he wanted to build. That's not New Rome, Ohio. What? Oh, you just back there. Okay. Uh, another notable one was Adolf Hitler. Now, who did Adolf Hitler blame for the deplorable condition of Germany? The Jews. After World War One, there were such strict uh, enforcements against the German. Right or uh, government that their economy tanked. I remember seeing, I wasn't around for this, no, but I've seen pictures where they had to take an entire wheelbarrow full of German marks to buy a loaf of bread. The inflation was so out of control. And out of this chaos and this mess, Adolf Hitler found someone to blame in the banking industry. The Jewish people, very good with finances. They were in leadership in many banking institutions. They owned shops and, and all kinds of places where they would make money. And in his speeches, Adolf Hitler crafted the blame game into getting him control. If you put me in charge, I will deal with the real root of our problem. It's the Jews. Now, what the Jews? It was some of the strict things that happened after they lost World War I. But Hitler preached it and people amended it. And the result of it was, of the blame game on that occasion, what were some of the results uh, for the Jewish people from that one episode of the blame game? Six million of them died. Six million killed, simply because they were Jews. Men, women, and children. 1.5 million children were killed by the Nazis. And you say, well, how are you so precise? Well, they kept good records. They were proud of what they were doing, and they boasted about it in the newspapers. We're getting rid of that vermin that caused all of our problems. And we're rebuilding the Third Reich, uh, like the Roman Empire. We're going to be a thousand-year Reich. What were some other consequences of the blame game. On the flip side, Adolf Hitler came to power. And he became an authoritarian power. And he led the German people into massive defeat in World War II. And there were the, the Nuremberg trials and all the different things. 
and people would say, well, I was just following orders. That didn't cut it. You bought into the blame game. You took the Jews. What were some of the ways that they killed the Jews in the oh concentration camps? Gas chambers. Gas chambers. Starvation. Starvation. Just shooting. Yeah, just shooting. Didn't they experiment with them? They experimented. Mengele, the one of the uh, medical doctors, did experiments on Jewish children, especially twins. They would use the twin as the default in the study. And uh, they would do all kinds of things. They would uh, put their joints in backwards and let them heal and see if they could walk or if they could use their hands. Uh, all kinds of deplorable situations. Yes? They involved, you're going to have to believe this, but I saw it. They involved animals with people too. And yeah. Animals. Yeah. Trying to make different animals. Yeah. Hitler was really they, they had a breeding program and uh, they believed that the Jews were animals themselves, so right. they ought to be able to mate with other animals. And uh, just horrendous things. So uh, they would take them, they would say, we're going for showers. And uh, they would take them in and they would gas them. Then they would take carts in, haul out the dead bodies, and take them to the furnaces. And burn their ashes, burn them to ashes, and bury them outside the camp. They also just, as you said, would shoot them and have mass graves. They found some graves with a thousand bodies in them. But the cool thing after the fact is that when Israel became a nation, they went back to Germany and they dug up the ashes from all of the concentration camps and they brought them to Israel. And in Yad Vashem, the Holocaust Museum, there was one room, some of you have been there and seen it, there was one room, it's very dark, you're not allowed to talk in it. In this one room, they have a, a map of Europe. And beside each one of the concentration camps, they, they have a flame there marking the location. And there are six million black tiles on top of the ashes of six million Jews to remember and their motto is never forget never forget never forget so this is the extreme example of the blame game but I want you to be ready and know those who are left behind after the rapture of the church and you say well I can always wait to after the rapture and then I can get serious and get saved. Well, the blame game is coming back. And the Christians will be the reason society is plummeting. And they'll be taken out according to the book of Revelation. 
and they'll be blamed for all the bad things that are happening. Yeah. Not to mention, most people don't have a heads up when they're going to die. Yeah. You know, most people don't have some kind of elongated suffering like cancer or something. Yeah. Most people die of a, you know, a giant heart attack or yeah. hit by a bus. So I mean, so it's like you could hold off. Yeah. You just never know. Yeah. So the blame game has some serious ramifications. Right now, the blame game is being played out across the world for Jews and Israel. Have you heard it on the news? They were attacked, but the blame game is coming. They need to back off. They need to, you know, play nice. The blame game is alive and well. And the anti-Semitism on the rise in the United States and around the world, it is just another indicator of this concept of the blame game. That's the extent it can go to blame others for the situations that are going on. Uh, so loss of control of the situation. The fourth reason that uh, Psychology Today lists for people playing the blame game is to protect yourself, divert the attention somewhere else. The disciples were, uh, I don't know that they were doing this, but uh, they, were, they were really high on themselves that day, weren't they? Well, who sinned, that person? They, they wanted to judge somebody, distance that situation from themselves. Uh, it's like the Pharisee that, and the, the Pharisee and the uh, I lost it publican that uh, went in to pray and the one said oh God be merciful to me a sinner what the other one say Pharisee what he say oh thank goodness I'm not him I'm glad I'm not like that clown I'm glad I'm not like that jerk I do this and I this you know, had to tell God. You know, I, I I do this and that and the other, and I tithe off of everything, and I'm not a wretched sinner like that guy. And Jesus' response to that blame game was, He already has His reward. You know, the, I'm not I'm not buying it. God doesn't buy the blame game to shift responsibility off of ourselves. To protect yourself. We used to have this as an ongoing theme in our household. Uh, we're having flashbacks now as Carissa and Gary are watching uh, relatives, but uh, we had four nieces and nephews, and could they play the blame game? <laughs> there are certain house rules, certain things you can't do, certain things that would happen. And we'd call them all into the living room, into the family room. And we would say, who did this? Down deep, we kind of knew. But there had to be kind of a, a climate where we would have them admit it, then ask forgiveness, and we you know, go on. And they'd have to stand there until somebody fessed up. Stubborn sinners. Stubborn sinners. And I remember uh, 
Lynn and I talk about it. Uh, one of the kids' name was Rio. And Rio is very similar to uh, one of our children here now, uh, was a drama queen. Oh, oh my. And she was standing there, we're waiting for somebody to fess up to whoever had done this, this deed in the house. And uh, so after a while, she says, okay, okay, I admitted it was me. Can we sit down now? <coughs> you didn't do it, did you? No. <laughs> but I, I, I don't want to stand up here any longer. <laughs> you know, she was willing to even, but sometimes we do the blame game. It was him. It was her. It was them. It was your fault. It was their fault. What my fault? If uh, you ever uh, had uh, auto accidents? and trying to get people to figure out whose fault it was. Uh, just this past week, uh, Bill was going home from uh, working with us at the boxing up of the groceries on Friday. And later on, I got a call from, from Lena. He was in an accident on the way home. And uh, they took him in just to check him out and he was fine. But I asked him, well, how did it happen? He says, well, I was following a guy down the street. And he slows down, and so I slowed down. It's in the middle of the street, there's no reason. And then he throws it into reverse and slams into me. Backs right up into him. Because he missed the driveway he was going to. <laughs> and when the police arrived, he wanted, he says, well, look, it's, he ran into the back of me. <laughs> wow. Thank you. Thank you. To protect yourself. The fifth cause that psychology today suggests for the blame game is to explain the unknown. We don't know why that happened. But some, some people cannot let it rest unless they blame somebody or something. It, it, it must be this. It must be that. And the blame game is, if you watch the news and listen, you'll hear it played out every newscast in some way or another. Well, why the blame game? Well, Kia hasn't done enough to protect the people who bought Kias and Hyundais from being stolen. But, I mean, we can point the blame there, okay. But what about the teenager that stole the car? His fault is not even mentioned in the news report. It is filed, filing suit against the, the car manufacturer. Now, I don't know if it's justified or not, but you know, uh, we don't know exactly what happened. But some people want to affix blame no matter what. Because they just don't understand, they don't know. We see in the court cases that are going, going on right now, or have paused for a while, where the jury could not make a decision where the blame lie. 
in, in different hearings. And they're vilified by the by the media and by others because what we it's clear who, who was at fault here. Obviously not. <laughs> it, it, never mind. Number six, to excuse ourselves from consequences. That's already been mentioned. And you guys got, I think, four out of the six before we even went through them. Uh, those six causes of the blame game. To excuse ourselves from consequences. Any of you admit to trying to cast blame on someone else for something you did to avoid the consequences? Anybody willing to admit? Uh, you want to share with us? Yeah. When we were younger, she wrecked every car we had. Oh. So one day, I was, one day I was born in a garage and I hit the front of our brand new car on something that was in the garage. And my neighbor come over and I already told her, she says, how did I do that? She asked me, I said, I don't know, honey, but it's all right. <laughs> Sitting right there is what hit that car. Pulled <laughs> in the garage. We're pulling the garage there. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, she keeps saying, "Avoid cuts. Oh, don't worry about Boy it." Cuts. <laughs> but you know oh, what? Sometimes you have to wreck. I always say that. Well, I think you might not be avoiding some consequences tonight, buddy. Every time she got a wreck, I let her go because you know it's not. Just, just, just stop while you're ahead. Stop while you're ahead. Stop while you're ahead. If you let me go, what's he going to do to me? Yeah, I <laughs> Six reasons to cause this uh, the blame game that we're seeing played out tonight. I, you know, we've got, got a front row seat for it. Yes. said, 
how did you get healed? <laughs> how did you get this way? And it starts a hilarious encounter with a, with a man who has not been to church, okay? He's not been to church. He's not obviously not read the scriptures. Blind men were, he was out begging when they were in reading scriptures. That was his livelihood. And so he's not been around, but he asked some of the best questions and says some of the coolest things. We need to pose a question to ourselves. Am I a blame gamer? And he said, well, I don't think so. It's probably Ed's fault. <laughs> uh, we, need to, we need to ask ourselves that question and ask the Lord to send the Holy Spirit to, to convict us if we are, if we're just always finger pointing and have to have somebody to blame. It can't just happen. You've got to have a reason behind it. The, uh, you can see some of the far-flung consequences of being a blame gamer. Look at uh, verses 26 and 27 in our study tonight. Verse 26, Then they, the Pharisees, said to him again, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? An innocent question, right? And yet, this is the second time they ask him. They didn't like the first answer they got. Right. They didn't like the answer with Jesus' name in it. And uh, here they're, they're going back and asking the question, the same question again. I, I have my flashbacks to my old Perry Mason reruns. Anybody remember Perry Mason? Oh, yeah. And uh, in the court series, series, and they'll uh, they'll ask a, a question, the same question again, and and the the other person will say, asked and answered. Can't ask the same question. Move along. So here we, we find that I turned the wrong page. Okay. They ask him. They ask him again. What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And he answered them, I told you already, and you did not listen. I mean, this guy is so cool. Uh, what, he's not been to Sunday school or Sabbath school, either one. He's just been out there begging, but his questions cut to the heart. Yeah. Why do you want to hear it again? And in complete innocence, he says, do you also want to become his disciples? Oh. <laughs> woo, woo. Smoke's coming out of their ears. They're just, oh my, oh. He pushed their buttons big time. Oh my goodness. They couldn't even speak for how angry they were. And, and uh, verse 27 said, And they reviled him and said, You're his disciples. His disciple, we're Moses' disciples. We're cut above. We know that God spoke to Moses. As for this fellow, we do not know where he's from. Now that should have put a, a cap on the guy, the blind guy. He hasn't, these are learned leaders of the religious movement. But uh, it didn't stop him. It says they reviled him. What does it mean to be reviled? Refused. 
scolded him? Scolded to vilify. They pointed the blame at him. They vilified him. They made him out to be the villain in the story. For getting healed. Shame on you. And, and for telling them it was Jesus that did it. Yeah, they built, they reviled him. The, the Greek word there, loidorio, uh, just means to cast aspersions at or to be angry with, uh, to be frustrated with. And uh, there's other places in the New Testament that word is used. Can I get somebody to read for me? 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 21 through 25. First hand up gets it. Okay, Quentin's got it. Matthew 5, 11 through 12. Oh, you, okay. Couldn't see it there. Okay, yes. Yeah. Mary Lou's got that one. Okay, 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 21 through 25. And the word is used here again. For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps who committed no sin, nor was guile found in his mouth, who, when he was reviled, did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. For you who were like sheep going astray, but now but have now returned to, sh to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. What's Simon Peter saying here uh, about Jesus and the reviling that went on? Who was reviled also? Jesus was. Jesus was. Jesus was reviled. They focused their anger at him. They uh, cursed at him. They rejected his words. They were angry with him. They were furious with him and tried to trip him up. Have you ever had somebody try to trip you up with your words? Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I kind of look back at Jamie. I know that's happened. Uh, how does that make you feel when you're reviled like that? Frustrated. So a lot of times I feel completely unjustified. You know, you feel like you're Sometimes almost comical, like really, like you're coming at me with this, like you, ironic, like you don't see where you're at here in all this. So it's sometimes unbelievable. Are you kidding? Yeah. Like, are we in the same universe? Talking about the same things. You lose all respect for the person who's doing it to you. Yeah, yeah that's true. They're coming after you, and you did, you know. Here's this guy. What did he do wrong here? Nothing. Nothing. He was healed. I mean, come on. He was healed. He was healed. That's all that he did. And he didn't do that. He just received a healing from the Lord. He did what Jesus told him to do. He washed off the, the clay from his eyes. And he came back shouting back to the temple mount. 
I'm healed, I'm healed. And people gathered and he said, who did this to you? He says, the one called Jesus. He told me, he put clay on my eyes, made clay, told me to go wash it in the pool. And, and, and I can see, I can see you, I can see you, I can see you. And uh, because of that, they're angry with him. They're reviling and vilified him. He's the evil dude here. And all he did was receive healing. Uh, Matthew 5, 11 and 12 tells us a little bit more about being revived. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. When they will revile you, that same word, Greek word is used, when they persecute or revile, they sling persecution at you falsely. The key phrase in there is, is they revile you, persecute you falsely for my name's sake, just because you're following Jesus. That's the only reason this guy was in trouble, right? Yeah. Because he brought up the name of Jesus. He hadn't done any work, right? It's not that it's not a Sabbath day's journey to walk from the Temple Mount to the Pool of Siloam. Now the priests did it, and everybody else. Uh, so he didn't do anything against the law, the law of the Pharisees. All he did was get healed, and they persecuted him, reviled him. Uh, there was a hand over here, wasn't there? No, Maybe I was not. just covering a yawn. Oh, I'm sorry. That's okay. Excuse me. I'll try, I'll try to pep it up. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Wow. This is like an auction. Like you see a hand go up. Wow. <laughs> I was just waiting. Talk about the blame game. I'm yawning and it's all your fault. Oh, no. That, I was just waking up. That's what I did. Sorry, what'd you say? <laughs> this nameless guy, this guy that was born blind, <coughs> continues to mess with the religious leaders. He's had no formal education, right? They didn't, they didn't have handicapped classes in those days. You went out and begged. For your existence. You couldn't go to school. You couldn't go to Sabbath school. You couldn't go to the synagogue. You had to be out and about. Uh, but, it, but he is just flooring these guys. Yeah. Interesting how the truth can make fools of the most educated people. Yeah. Yeah. They professing themselves to be wise become as fools, the Bible says. So look there at verse 28. Then they reviled him and then they made this accusation, you're his disciple, but we're Moses' disciples. We know that God spoke to Moses. As for this guy, we do not know even where he's from. Well, that's a lie. They Just a chapter back, they knew where he was from. They just didn't like him. Uh, the man answered, this, this is so cool. The man answered and said to them, why? This is a marvelous thing. 
that you don't know where he's from. Yet, he opened my eyes. You guys are clueless about how he healed me or where he's from. But isn't this great? A guy you have no clue about healed my eyes. And here I am, looking right at you with my baby blues, or probably browns. Um, not to clean. And he says, now we know that God does not hear sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, he hears him. It's just messing with these Pharisees. And they're just standing there taking it. Since the world began, it has been unheard of that anyone opened the eyes of one who was born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. He's just smacking them around yeah. with just simple truth. Simple truth that in all my years of study, okay, I'm 74 now, and I've, I've been in Sunday school since I was an infant. Linda and I were in the same nursery class together at Hansburger Methodist Church. But uh, I've studied, the, I've read the Bible through many, 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 many times. I studied it all the time. I've studied this portion of scripture many times, and I never saw what this novice blind guy, former blind guy, saw. And so I said, oh, is that true? I, that can't be true. No. There is no reference in the Old Testament, in the law or the prophets or the Psalms or whatever, of anyone who was born blind receiving their sight. Not one. Many other miracles, right? People raised to life again, lame walked, all kinds of things. Not a single instance of a man who was born blind said, what about those Syrians that came against Elisha? They were struck blind. Yeah, they weren't born that way. Right. Yeah, they didn't get there in the Syrian army being born blind, all got healed and then right. no. No, they were smitten with blindness instantaneous and God took away their sight then he gave it back. That's not the same thing as being born blind. Right. Amen? Amen? But if you study not a single case in the old covenant but oh I got shouting happy when I was studying this. Look this, this nameless guy is messing with them and he makes a statement <coughs> There's no Old Testament record of the blind being healed. But look up a couple scriptures with me, if you would. Isaiah 61, 1 and 2. Who will read that one for me? You know it well. Okay, Marcia's got that. Luke 4, 17 through 19. Who will do that? Dun, 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 dun. Okay. Okay, Isaiah 61, 1 and 2. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable, acceptable year of the Lord, and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn. Okay. This is the from the prophet Isaiah referring to the Messiah 
and what he's going to do. You say, well, I didn't hear anything about blindness. Well, listen to the words of that same scripture as Jesus read it in the New Testament. And there's a phrase in there that in the Old Testament it looks like it's talking about people in prison being set free. But it's actually talking about people that are imprisoned by blindness and darkness being brought to light. Okay, go ahead. Uh, Luke 4, 17-19. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted to preach deliverance to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Okay. So, prophecy from the Old Testament, Jesus then said, today, this is fulfilled in your ears. The setting at liberty, the setting at free of the blind, the blind receive their sight. And Jesus proclaims that in Nazareth as he reads this scripture aloud from Isaiah. And so it's recorded for us so we know the way that Jesus, who's the living word, intended it to read. It's referring to sight to the blind. That's a promise in the Old Testament that was not realized until Messiah came. And Jesus began to open the eyes of the blind. People that have been born blind are seen like they never saw before. We were dealing suddenly with the drama of blind Bartimaeus and looking at that story <coughs> I didn't realize at the time, I hadn't studied this at that time from that standpoint. There was nothing in the Old Testament for Bartimaeus or this man born blind to latch on to as a promise that they could ever receive their sight. Yeah, they had no hope. Till Jesus came. Till Jesus came. And uh, at the end of the, of the lesson tonight, I want to uh, play a song. I, I tried to sing this at uh, uh, the nursing home Sunday with not great results, but I tried, you know. Uh, I, I have somebody else singing it. Uh, George Beverly Shea is singing. He does a great job. But uh, here, here we find the prophecy fulfilled the promise was there, but it was between the lines. And when Jesus read it, he said, This day, this is fulfilled in your ears. And he closed the scroll of Isaiah and went and sat down. And every eye was on him, and they marveled at him. We also find, and let me just take this, in Luke chapter 7. I think I wrote that down. Maybe not. Luke chapter 7, verse 22. You remember, John the Baptist has been imprisoned. Word reaches Jesus. A question from John the Baptist. 
Are you the one or should we seek for another? Here he is. He's preached that Jesus is the Messiah. Behold the Lamb of God. But even John was having some doubts when he's sitting in prison on death row. He realized he's not going to make it out of this thing alive. And he sends word to, to his servants to Jesus. Are you the one the prophet was talking about? Or should we expect another? Verse 22 of Luke 7. Uh, this is so powerful. Then Jesus answering said to them, Go your way and tell John what things you have seen and heard. How the blind see. And the lame walk. The lepers are cleansed. The deaf hear. And the dead are raised. To the poor the gospel is preached. This day is fulfilled in your ears. No reason for hope really. In the clouded prophecy of Isaiah. But when Jesus reads it, he reads it. What he meant <coughs> this day is fulfilled in your ears. So, I've never seen that. How many of you ever noticed that before? That there's no healings of blindness in the Old Testament? No way. Anybody else? Mm -hmm. Am I the only dummy here? Dumb as a rock sometimes. <laughs> I've been studying for years, but you always learn something new. I, I was just shouting about this. <laughs> Whoa! And here, yeah. Oh, I was just going to say that in 11 verse 34, how I found this out, that when people lose the argument, they resort to just name-calling. Yeah. And that's what they're doing there. They're just name-calling. And then later in verse um, 38, he worshipped Jesus. And that doesn't seem like much when you're just kind of reading it. But when you realize that not only was he worshiping Jesus, but Jesus willingly accepting worship, which is a high crime, because blasphemy, you'd be crucified for that for sure. And um, you know, just another verse for those people who say, well, Jesus never said he was God. Yeah. Like, he, he said it in a lot of different ways, and this is just one proof of it. Yeah, the... Uh the aspect that still just grips me. This is a guy who's born blind. He's never had any formal education. He could not even go to the temple because he was infirmed. It was awaiting the coming of Messiah. When Jesus came, that everybody was going to have access. You remember the scripture that after Jesus cleansed the temple, then they then came the blind and the halt and the lame. When Jesus came. Fulfillment of all these things. But here's a kid, a guy, a young man, who has never had any formal education. He has never been able to read the scrolls of the Old Testament, of the prophet. There was no braille there was no, well, we'll go and read it to you at home. Nobody had a copy of, this, of, of the scriptures themselves in their home. And yet, in that moment, he is posing these questions and he is making statements. 
I don't know. I consider that I've studied the Bible a lot. But he knew something. I didn't know with, with all my degrees and studies and everything. You say, well, it just shows you that my great education. Well, <laughs> sorry. But you guys didn't know it either. But this guy without any education at all, oh, the Lord can make, make his word alive even if we're dumber than a box of rocks. Amen? This, this guy, and he's just smacking them around with truth, and they don't like it. And so finally, the end of their discussion is, they answered and said to him, you were born in sin. See, they're, they're back to the blame game, right? They had, probably hadn't heard the disciples, but they determined the same question the disciples. You were born in sin, and you're teaching us, and they cast him out. What does that mean, cast somebody out? Kicked him out. To get out. They kicked him out of the, of the temple court. You're not welcome here. You're not welcome in this place. They threw him out of the temple. Why? He had the audacity to receive healing from somebody called Jesus. I haven't witnessed this myself, but I know some people who have had similar things happen that because God's done a mighty work in their life that their former friends don't want to be around them anymore. They're ostracized because Jesus did a work in their lives. So John 9, after he's kicked out, all this time, he's not been allowed to go to the temple, right? And now he can go and they kick him out. He's booted before he even gets to go there. Oh my, how depressing. But he wasn't depressed. Jesus heard that they had cast him out. What does that tell you? News spreads quickly. Bad news spreads quickly. Uh, and they were proud of what they'd done. They showed him have the audacity to get healed on the Sabbath day. Tell him it was Jesus that did it. And when he found him, Jesus went looking for him. He said to him, do you believe in the Son of God? He answered and said, Who is he, Lord, I, that I may believe in him? He was open, so open. And Jesus said to him, You have both seen him, and it is he who is talking with you. Then he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. In the, in the New Testament, how many Gospels do we have? Four. Four. Not a trick question. Four. The first three Gospels are called the Synoptic Gospels. They tell basically the same stories from a different vantage point. Whether it's Matthew or Mark getting the information from Peter or, or, or Luke, the physician who traveled with Jesus. John's different. We talked about that when we began our study. In the three synoptic gospels, Jesus does not reveal that he is Messiah or that he's the Son of God. He calls himself Son of Man. 
Remember that? John is the only gospel where Jesus does not keep the messianic secret. It's a whole doctrine called the doctrine of the messianic secret. It's kept in the synoptics. But John's gospel is different than all the other gospels. Because he, as we've talked before, it's a different gospel. It, it has different aspects where the I am statements form the outline of it and Jesus proclaiming himself to be Messiah God. And so here Jesus speaks to this one guy by himself. He's been kicked out of church, so to speak. Kicked out of church for having the audacity to be healed. He doesn't care. He found Jesus outside of the church. And he worshipped him. And he didn't regret receiving his healing from the Lord. He, he, what a powerful statement about this guy. He's so open. He's just had a marvelous miracle happen. And he, he's not shy about worshipping Jesus. Not only had he never been to worship services before, he was not permitted to go up there because he was born blind. But he picked right up on how to worship Jesus. We don't know what he did. What are some ways that this man who was healed of his blindness could have worshipped Jesus? What are some ways he could have? The confession of his mouth. I believe you are the Son of God. I believe in you, Jesus. Jesus receives our confession of faith as worship. When we call him Savior, that's praise. When we call him Lord, that's worship and praise. How else could he have worshipped Jesus? He could have bowed before him. He had been down in the dust of the ground begging his whole life. He might just go back down there again and bow at the feet of Jesus. We find that same picture of, of Simon Peter after the resurrection bowing at the feet of Jesus beside the Sea of Galilee. We find others, my Lord and my God, bowing and worshiping Him, humbling themselves before Him. Uh, you know, one day every knee will bow, and every tongue will confess that He is both Lord and Christ Messiah. He could have worshipped Him in a variety of ways. I think it's important they didn't tell us how He worshipped Him. Just what he said. Lord, I believe. And you remember as we walk through some of these stories in, in John, Jesus, everywhere he goes, he's looking for people of faith. He says, I've looked and I didn't find this kind of faith in Israel. I was looking, I found faith over here. I found faith over there. He's looking for faith. And here's a guy in his simplicity, no education, no formal training. He's only had his eyesight for a little over a day. And he worships him and believes in him 
confess his faith in Jesus Christ. I don't know. It's just, a, I just was so blessed to, to this guy who had no training baffled this old dude with his assertion. There was no hope, basically, in the old covenant except when Messiah came. One of the choirs sang in it uh, years ago in another church. We had a Christmas cantata and there was this one powerful song. I have wanted to try and find the soundtrack for this thing. I'd love to sing it. It goes a little bit, I don't know the words, but when Messiah comes, when Messiah comes. And it talks about the joy and the excitement and the healing and the power and the change. Jesus has come. And this man worshiped him. We're going to stop there tonight. Let's worship him. Can we do that? Worship him just like that blind, former blind man did. Lord, I believe in you. I praise you. You're my Savior. You're my Lord. Jesus fulfilled the prophecies of Messiah. Prayer request tonight. Yes. This morning, uh, Barb Center mentioned that she has some decisions to make, uh, and we're not at liberty to share. But she has a she needs a healing from the Lord, and uh, she's just a very private person. But we worship a. Uh, a God who sees in private. And if you could lift up and intercede for Barb Center for healing in her body, that it might be a testimony to all around. Other prayer requests tonight? Yes? Um, my son's mother-in-law, she uh, had fallen out in the garage and, and broke her heel. And they had pinned it. Well, evidently, uh, money, uh, the dogs heard Brad outside and he didn't hear them. And she let them out and he had propped the gate open. And what she did was she stepped down from the uh, floor room to the planai on her toes.
praise in the Lord. I got about 100% back in the left eye and uh, kind of a yes, no kind of. I have a, an appointment with uh, uh, many of our favorite eye doctors. I'm just praying. I'm just, I just would, I just really would like to not have another shot in my eye. I just like to not have that again. Uh, but if, you know, I'm praising God for the healing and, and being able to see things. Praise God. Well, let's go to, yeah. Oh, I just praise report. Abby's toe is good. Looks good. Excellent. I mean, still a little bit of infection, but yeah, it looks really much better than what it was. And hopefully we'll be done with this whole stupid ingrowing toe. Praise God. <laughs> we have a, just a covering prayer situation with the situation that Carissa's dealing with, with uh, the youngsters and all the different shenanigans that are being played and not by the kids, but by others. And uh, it's just, an, you, you make the mistake of saying, what else could they, uh, and they do. You know, so appreciate your prayers about that. Uh, Carissa got to witness firsthand some of the insanity. <laughs> oh boy. Well, let's let's go to prayer tonight. And can we have several lead us out in a word of prayer? And I'll close <coughs> just a little bit.
us by name. And we just thank you. You sought us when we have answered that call. Lord, we ask that you would just continue to walk with us and help us to be that witness. We ask it in Jesus.
got a fork at noon to try the whole way through. Because they were saying, right there, there's one county down there, the mountains, and they were going to shit that kind of Yeah. Oh, yeah. So we were able to get out. Didn't make it? Yeah. Oh, 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 yeah. Oh